today on Doomed. QAnon is coming to Congress. That is almost, I mean, really, not even almost, that is definitely going to happen based on a recent primary, which we'll be discussing on this show. We'll also be talking about how the rise of Q in Washington came to be and how the conspiracy theory isn't going anywhere. Folks, to support this show, patreon.com slash mattbinder. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash mattbinder. And without any further ado, my guest on this episode, he is the president of Media Matters for America, Angelo Carason. Thank you so much for joining me today, Angelo. Thanks for having me. Let me just pull us up on the feed, and we are on camera now. So, uh, All right. I really want to just upfront say that this show, and there's a lot of other great shows that have been covering uh, QAnon, uh, QAnon Anonymous, uh, TrueAnon. There's a number of really great shows that have been focusing on Q. And these shows, though, including this one, we focus on the conspiracy theory itself, and that's really, and all the separate uh, theories that come out of it, and it just, just all the insanity you find online with QAnon. But Media Matters decided to take hold of the fallout from the growth of a Q, the QAnon conspiracy into really the broader everyday life of, of everyone. And you guys have been so doing so, such great work on how QAnon is basically... How, how many people who believe in QAnon are running for Congress right now? There were 75 that we tracked, uh, and our, our researcher, Alex Kaplan, does a lot of this, and um, that we tracked running for Congress. And, and, th and that's at and the, the federal level. At the federal level. And um, at least 20 of them are going to be on the ballot in November. Um, we're talking a lot about, you know, about Marjorie Greene because of the likelihood that she's going to win. But there are still 20, like, and, I, and I, we don't just mean people that, like, casually dabbled in it, right? We're talking about actual QAnon adherence. There's a pretty high standard for when we put somebody in that category. 75 uh, in just the, at just, the, congr at just the, you know, the congressional, the national level. So what does, you just mentioned this, so what does, what, how does Media Matters uh, decide to label a candidate as a QAnon candidate? Yeah, I think that one of the things that, so we try to keep it pretty consistent. And one of the things that, and one of the standards that our researcher who does a lot of the tracking, Alex Kaplan, does is there's a few ind few indicators. One is that they have to have, have promoted QAnon content or hashtags or elements of the conspiracy theory, um, not just once, right, uh, but at least a couple times. It has to have appeared to be uh, explicitly tied to Q, which is not always an easy thing to do, right, because sometimes they're more cryptic about it. Um, it has to be clear that it was deliberate, right? That it's not, you're not holding them accountable for not swatting down some commenter, but it actually came from one of their official channels. Um, it has to align with things that, so that's the first criteria. The second is that it has to sort of broadly fit in with like the rest of the things that they're saying um, in all their other communications. That doesn't mean that they all, that their press releases have to all be like Q hashtags, but you know, if it feels wildly out of step and they retweeted a QAnon count once, it may not be the case that they're actually QA adherents. They may have just messed up. Mm -hmm. um, and then the third criteria is repetition, which is a pretty clear, important factor there. Which So it's 
you know, have they done this thing tied to QAnon? Does it broadly align with the rest of the narrative that they're telling about their campaign, that their campaign is presenting? Uh, and then the third piece is, is there enough examples of this to show some kind of demonstrated pattern so that you can see the and infer intentionality and alignment really clearly? And then that's just the bare minimum. And then you have people that straight up evangelize it. I mean, Marjorie Taylor Greene at one point was telling people to, if they weren't sure about QAnon, to DM her and she would help them understand uh, what it was all about. That, that I mean, obviously that's a no-brainer. Right. Uh, but those three criteria really do need to be met before somebody would get added to that list. Now I got to ask you, because for me, this would be a sure, a surefire thing. None of the other criteria would matter. Hashtag when we, where we go one, we go all in the bio. To me, that's a, that's it. That's, you don't need that's anything good, else. Right. That is like, that's <laughs> it. It's pretty obvious, right? I mean, right. That is, when once, and that's the other thing. I mean, there may be some exceptions where we say, well, hey, this guy may not have, or maybe scrubbed their tweets, but they still have it in their bio, uh, where we'll, we'll kind of let it go through. But a lot of it is, you know, and that's the thing. If you're a Q person, you're doing it for a reason, not just because you believe in it, although that's a part of it. But if you're running for office, you're actually doing it because you see some political or organizing advantage to it. So a lot of times there's some repetition in there. And I think that's where it starts to get a little risky for all of us. Right, right. Now, let, let's start with Marjorie Green because no matter what happens in November, I don't know how many QAnon uh, believers are going to Congress, but it seems like, I don't want to say 100% because who knows, but it seems like 99% sure that if one of them gets in, it's going to be her. Yep, that's exactly right. And so I think, I mean, and that's why it's really concerning because it means a couple things. One, that there's an afterlife for Q if Donald Trump loses, right? Um, because it's it one of the things that makes this so deeply a, a pro-Trump conspiracy, at least for now, is that it really is a pro-Trump conspiracy theory. The entire thing is centered around the idea that they're defending Trump. What her presence does is it gives another sort of connection or organ of power that they can rally around, right? A new champion to be fighting the deep state. Uh, so it, it at least gives some insurance that they won't go away. Two, I actually think it adds a lot of gasoline to the fire because imagine videos where an old corridor that used to be in Congress, right, is no longer in service. I mean, her being able to post pictures and saying, I wonder if that's the tunnel where they bring, right? You could think about the, the endless <laughs> right. amounts of fodder that right. she can provide. Um, well, she's, that's, she's that's, literally going to be working side by side with people that she believes to be satanic pedophiles. Yes. Right. Yes. Like that's a huge and that's where it becoming it means that there's an endless stream of fodder and fuel for the move for this sort of Q anon community. Um, and that that portends not just it's not good. It's not just bad because they're going to get bigger and have this 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 energy behind them. But it also means that her footprint and her presence is only going to grow as well because she's going to become much more of a national figure than just a, you know, another local congressperson would um, because of what she's going to be able to represent is, is she's going to speak to a pretty baked-in constituency. Right. So uh, let's actually step back for one second because I realize maybe someone who's tuning into the show for the first time isn't quite sure what QAnon even is. So let's yeah. just, I guess, let, let's, I mean, I've heard, I mean, there is a, a, a general basic summary for QAnon, but obviously because of the nature of how it is, there's something new someone could add for every description. So, right. how would, so how would you explain QAnon to someone who has never heard it before? 
I have been doing this for the last couple of months. I feel like I have a cheat code because I've had to, to explain this to so many people that are not remotely connected to the Q world or even online. And so the way I describe it in the simplest, most concise terms is this, is that there it is a community centered around an individual who claims to be a member of the deep state who has Q level security clearance. And what he does or this person does is drop these clues that members of the community try to decipher. And the reason why this person is doing it um, is because they are in cahoots with or trying to expose or trying to help um, Donald Trump, uh, who is fighting back against the co and a coordinated effort by the deep state, which is basically civil servants, the government, the media, and Democrats, um, because Trump is trying to break up their child sex trafficking ring. And the reason why they're running this is because they are either sort of like sadist sex perverts, uh, but actually it's mostly because they're either Satanists or interdimensional demons who are feeding off of the children's psychic energy in order to initiate their large global agenda. Um, and Trump is one of the only people that knows this and is willing to fight it, and that's why everybody has to rally behind Q so that they can defend Trump. I gotta say that is the most concise explanation I've heard because when I tell people about it, I, I honestly, I drop the Q explanation now because Q is, is really unnecessary. It's true. It's, it's gone beyond Q. Um, I mean, he ha he or she or they uh, haven't yep. even posted in a couple of weeks now. And and you think they'd be parting it up with uh, with Marjorie Green winning and the Biden picking a VP so much fodder for him or her or they and just just radio silence. But QAnon right. hasn't been hit at all. It keeps on rolling. That's right. I mean, part of what kept and, and I guess, you know, in a way it shows how purposeful it was, because one of the things that the that Q did with those Q drops was. Um, you know, my, I'm an organizer by background. And so when you're organizing, you, pe the people you're trying to pull in, you, they need things to do um, in order to stay engaged with the cause or the effort or the fight. Um, and what Q provided was uh, something common for them to organize around. And, you know, it was like, let's try to figure out what this latest set of clues means. Let's decipher this Q drop. Let's really, you know, comb through this flight manifest to see if somebody connected to Hillary Clinton was on there so that they could, you know, then talk, see what the code really was. And, and in a way, you, you needed that because you wanted to keep the cause going. But you don't, at this point, you don't need it anymore. You have TikTok, right? You can spin up a new Wayfair conspiracy. You can glom onto another effort about child sex trafficking. You know, at that point, Trump wasn't amplifying QAnon as much as he is now. Um, so there's a lot of other things that are helping fuel it. And um, and in a way, Q isn't really needed. Now, I got to ask you because you brought it up. Now, for people who aren't familiar, Angela, I don't know who was your first, but one of your biggest organizing efforts was, geez, years ago, I remember you doing this. Stop Glenn Beck. Stop Beck. Yeah. Get him off Vox. Now, That's how I got into all this. <laughs> it, it didn't even occur to me until just now when, when I was talking with you, but I got to ask because if anyone would know, it's you. Has Glenn Beck promoted QAnon in any way? Not in an explicit way yet. I mean, there's been, you know, they reference it, they're careful about it, but they, um, not explicitly, but you know, in a way, I mean, I, I would just point out though that he was a, um, you know, ten years ago he was talking about dark forces, and it wasn't really clear. And you know, you know, and I'll sort of stop there. But one of the most interesting things about the that one piece of symmetry is that there was a point in time where Beck argued. This was a decade ago on Fox News. 
that um, Obama might have demon connections to him. And his right. evidence was flies. You know, remember all those viral videos of like Obama swatting? And Beck's contention was, remember, he was a really, at that point, he was a Skousenite, which is a, a sort of a sect of Mormonism that had been sort of broken off because of its extremism. And it believes in, you know, a, a lot of conspiracies. And um, Beck believed that, that Obama might have been tied to the Antichrist or demons because of the flies and that he was there. Uh, and that and that was his evidence was these flies. And so, you know, in a way, it's not like this is the first time a large conservative audience, right, has been right. told that these bad figures could maybe not actually even be humans, but in some ways, you know, extra otherworldly. Mm -hmm. um, but that's the and that's it. That's the symmetry. It's just it's there. It's that's that's the where as where it begins and ends. I think Q is a little too unreliable even for Glenn Beck right now. Hell, but Beck could send them all a chalkboard. It could help them suss this stuff out, you know? Could I know. Really, you know, yeah. put it in some uh, order there. So so let's get back to Marjorie because, you know, we should talk about her a little more being that she's the one most likely to to be around for a while. Jeez, it's like, you know, the I, I, saw, I saw someone tweet this out, but they tweeted, I think it would, might, might have been even Dave Weigel or someone like that. The, the Thanos meme of everything is always balanced. How we just got rid of like uh, Steve King and then Marjorie Green comes in. It's, there's always got to be some sort of extremist. That's just how it's always got to be, apparently. Now, now <laughs> she, 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 what makes her specifically a QAnon believer? Uh, I mean, I, it's if, for people who don't, aren't familiar, because she's openly a, a Q person. But for Huge. people who she's don't know, full on, full yeah. on Q. Yeah, she. I even say. You know, when I try to think about the distinction, too, between adherence to it and believers, you know, there's another, if you think about it as rings, there's a center ring of QAnon, of members of the QAnon community that are not just like believers and hardcore adherents, but they are evangelizers for it, that they believe a big part of their job is not just to help sort of suss out the ideas behind the conspiracy, but to really bring others into the fold, to actually grow right. the, the belief system to uncover this. And so... What to me, her biggest, what really separates out from some of the other QAnon candidates has actually been not just the explicit way in which she has embraced the conspiracy theory and all things Q. Um, and that, you know, she's really gone like very explicit on like these, this thing is a Satan operation that we need to break up. Like others kind of dance around it. Um, but it's actually that she has repeatedly evangelized it and offered to build, to, to help people understand. Um, uh, one, what it is all about. And then two, Marjorie I, Taylor Greene, I think in a weird way, is one of the few people in Q that is still connected to Q themselves. I mean, uh, she has repeatedly referred to Q as a, as a national hero um, and, and really like fundamentally believes that that entity, whoever that person claimed, you know, whatever they claim to be, um, is doing amazing work. Like they believe, like she believes in Q. She doesn't just believe in the conspiracy. Like she really believes in this person that's sitting there doing this. And I just want to point out, and then I'll put a bow on it, is that there is a thing called Q clearance, um, but it is not like some super high, like special, it, it is actually Department of Energy security clearance, and it's for people that work with like nuclear material. Um, it's a, you know, it's like, from, a lot of the Q stuff is from like spy movies, right? Like right. that's the part about this that's so fantastic is that she believes that there's somebody at the Department of Energy working with Donald Trump to like, you know, to do this. And she is, she really is connected to the entity as much as the theory. And I think that's an important thing about her compared to others.
Right. There's that video of her that was going around a little a couple of days ago where she she openly says, you know, I know nothing about Q, no idea who he is, but I do yep. know he's a I do know he's a patriot. That's right. Just yeah. It's just that's all you know. They they love that word first of all. That's like you know, makes them so happy to 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 know someone who they call a patriot. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, I mean it, it's it's stunning. And now, you know, it just occurred to me too. Seventy five main like QAnon folks running for Congress. We could literally do like a, a an episode a day on them until the election, and literally just like have a week to take off for a break right before the election. I mean, it's it's stunning just how many people are running who believe in this. Uh, yeah. So so if Marjorie Marjorie's a short thing, we got her in there. Yep. Who are the next couple of QAnon candidates who have uh, a good shot of? Ooh. Yeah. It's tough. I mean. Um... You know, look, Lauren Boebert, I think, is right. sort of in that vein. Um, you know, right. I, I think that Boebert is probably one of the softer Q people, but that, but that's just because she's more politically savvy, right? Um, and, you know, Lauren, Boebert is one of the young guns. I mean, it was actually on Kevin McCarthy's list of, like, new incoming Congress people. Um, I think that that's an example of somebody that's sort of, like, right there that's likely to kind of break through. You know, on is, the she other, the one, is she the one with the uh, with the uh, the she her whole thing was she went viral because her restaurant refused to uh, do the COVID health stuff and shut down when that's uh, right. right yeah in Colorado and um, you know I, I would point out that you know her connections are you know she's done podcasts just like just like this one but with actual like you know, you know there's a whole universe of shows of QAnon advocates that sort of host you know, their latest discussions about the conspiracy because they're believers and they're trying to evangelize it. Um, she was a participant in a bunch of these like QAnon podcasts and QAnon streaming shows um, at the time. Um, you know, she's been on a, on, a, on a few of them. I think if I was to put my money on one, it'd probably be Lauren and she's in she's in Colorado. Um, and, you know, in a way, there's a lot of it's it's a balance between her. And I think the coverage is kind of fascinating. And I think it shows while it's interesting and it's somewhat cathartic and good that there's a lot of coverage around QAnon right now because there's only been a very small number of people that have been really sounding the alarm about it, thankfully. Um, I don't understand why more attention isn't also being given to Boebert, right? Because she believes in all the same things that Marjorie Taylor Greene does and is now like fully embraced by... Um, you know, by the leadership of the Republicans. And I think it starts to make you wonder a little bit, why is it the case that Republicans seemingly were distancing themselves more from Green than Boebert? And, I, you know, she said a lot more other explicitly racist things. Um, and I feel like that was really what they're distancing themselves from, even though I think the media narrative is that they're sort of trying to break away from Q. I think it's less about the theory and more about some of the other stuff. But, you know, I think she's the next best one and, and she's going to be in a much more senior position. She's going to get much better committee assignments than Greenwood. Right. You know, Boebert could be right. on the intelligence committee, whereas I don't think they would let Green go on there. Right. Um, like that's the stuff that I think, you know, that's where it matters. Right. Um, right. So well, I, I would put I would put her right in the in the next. Yeah. I, I think you hit it, though, really good in the beginning in terms of the difference between the two of them. And I, I've noticed noticed this, too, just watching videos of theirs and how they present themselves. Lauren really does – Lauren's her name, right? Lauren Boebert? Yeah, right? Lauren. She, yeah. she really does seem to be pandering. She thinks – I don't know if she believes full-heartedly in Q like Marjorie does or if she even believes I in it at all. I think that's right. 
Yeah, I think I, that's right. I think she knows there's an opening there. There's a sub. There's a section of Trump supporters who believe in this, and she's gonna throw them some red meat. Whereas that's right. Marjorie, though, she—they're both, you know, they both are are extremists and are scary. <laughs> but Marjorie, though, she's—I I think if you were to try to dis- like, if you were to sit both of them down and talk with them, you could probably, you know, you'll probably get out of Lauren and be like, yeah, this stuff is kind of out there. Some of this stuff. Marjorie, though, she's gonna argue with you on why it's real because she really believes it. I mean, no, she is I think in you're there. right. I think you're totally right. I think that's important too. You know, in a way, the Q people may not, it may not have much an effect for them, you know, because the, they're so baked into this that they sort of understand, and this is the part that I find so amazing, that the, there's so much pressure from the deep state, right? That like people like Bobert have to soften their Q support. Like they will rationalize anything. Um, and so, you know, they are actually, the, in a way, the perfect audience to pander to because you don't have to give them very much in order for them to, like, fully embrace you as, like, a, a member of their community and give you all the rewards that go along with that with this organizing energy. Um, uh, in a way, I can't tell which is worse, right? Uh, the true believer that is immovable and will do all kinds of scary things or the person that knows better but does it anyway for short-term game, uh, you know, gain, but actually empowers all these other really dangerous people. And I, I want to emphasize that. Like, I, it, if this was, like, a harmless conspiracy theory, I, I, it would be, like, fun to talk about and it would be, like, different, but I actually wouldn't be as, like, serious. In a sense, I, wouldn't, I would really make sure that I conveyed that it's, like, it's lighthearted, it's ridiculous, like, we should laugh at them, but, like, ultimately it's not that bad. The inherent within Q is violence, is ends justify right. the means, because the idea is that you have to be prepared to take matters into your own hands um, to save these children, uh, and and that's what you have to be ready to do. Like that's what a lot of the take the oath stuff was about over the summer, right. and that that and we've seen violent actions. You know, a blocking of the Hoover Dam once. We've had we've had moments where people that were ready to you know that where vans were loaded up with ammunitions that law enforcement managed to stop it before it happened very similar to a Glenn Beck intersection when that guy was going to shoot up the Tides Foundation, which was a target for Glenn Beck. Um, there's a lot of parallels there, but that's what makes the Q thing really scary. So when people like Bobert kind of give them a little bit of fuel, even though she, I do, I'm with you, I think she actually knows better. Um, I feel like that's in a way almost, it's, it's irresponsible in a way that I don't know if Marjorie Taylor Greene is capable of being as irresponsible just because I think she truly believes what she's saying. Right, right, and and you know we I was uh, I was I was on the majority report uh, filling in with uh, the rest of the MR crew for Sam today Sam Cedar today, and we this caller called in asking us about QAnon, and I brought up because you mentioned like like laughing at it if it wasn't so you know serious so, so scary, but you know I've been saying this for a while now, there is a generation of people who are lost to this QAnon uh, conspiracy. Yeah. They're 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 lost. It is there's no saving them. I even to 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 really like hone in on how lost they are. I usually bring up how, you know, there are white, there are groups run by like former white supremacists who do work to help brainwash young people who get, you know, fall down a YouTube rabbit hole and believe in white supremacy to save them from it. And those groups work and, and you can save some of those people from white supremacy. The QAnon thing, those people are gone. You can't even do that for them. It's a cult. It is beyond saving a lot of those people. But the caller continued and asked, you know, so how do you stop someone who's lightly, you know, like, like he has friends on Facebook looking into this? And I think for someone who's lightly like, because there are a lot of people ever since the pandemic starting to get into Q, uh, I think 
a way to do that is that at that point, it's all about the socialization aspect. They don't yeah. really know everything about Q. So if you can make this socially unacceptable by, by, by discussing just how ridiculous this is and openly really mocking it and laughing at it, I yep. do think you will save a lot of those people who are, who are about to fall in. Because once they're in, I don't think there's anything, any coming out of this one. I mean, this one is, you are I gone if totally you're in here. I agree. And I would say that there's one piece of it. And, you know, they grow in very intentional and deliberate ways. And, you know, one of the entry points is, and I think part of, to your point, like sort of inoculating uh, the further spread of this is, um, you know, it does start with, it, it can't be binary in that it, you have to at least acknowledge, I found that there are people, especially like I've gone to, like there's been some proliferation in like parenting communities on Facebook and um, some of the the, you know, the mommy blogs, the, the, the larger parent you know support groups where they start to talk about the problem of child sex trafficking um, and the exploitation of children. And which is like a thing that you can, people can engage with, especially with social media, right? Like, I mean, for gosh sakes, Snapchat up until a couple weeks ago didn't have any real strong countermeasures for how they were going to deal with um, child pornography and only recently announced it, right? And so if you're, if you're a normal, rational person, to your point, you're home, you're during this moment, somebody starts to talk about this problem or this scourge of, of child exploitation, child, child sex trafficking, gosh, you know, you, you, one of the entry points to your point about the brainwashing is that they actually bring you in with something that I think we can all universally recognize as bad uh, and also something we should do something about. And I found that there's an enormous amount of resistance the second that we start or anyone starts in the perspective of that's not a threat, that's not really that big of a thing, that's not really a problem. They immediately go deeper down the rabbit hole because it validates that there's something there that they need to dig into. What I've found is that one, starting there and then steering them toward more deliberate, intentional, like anti-trafficking work uh, and anti-trafficking resources and that sort of like genuine anti-trafficking research, it, it, it doesn't cleave off everybody, but there's a large universe of people that are becoming exposed to how bad that is and want to do something about it or are interested. And there is a universe of people and organizations that are doing anti-trafficking work that they can engage with. But that feels to me like one of the most difficult gateways to navigate is that a lot of the initial hooks we see um, has been that. And I will just add, it's really different from three years ago when Q was still sort of going around as like the storm. They weren't bringing people in with it. They weren't leading with child sex trafficking. They were leading with like Obama, Clinton, conspiracy. The like deep states trying to take down yes, Trump. Right. That's right. It was very. And so the audience that you could pull in was really different. Right. Um, you right. really you you probably lost those people before they became believers in Q and the storm because they started from a perspective of. Hillary Clinton is literally you know, capable of putting rocket launches over her shoulder and killing, you know, shooting down planes and has a body count. Like they believe that before they became members of the Q community. Right. And that I think is one of the more insidious shifts in the last, really in the last, you know, year has been a very intentional leading with child sex trafficking more than they lead with the deep state politics stuff. Right. So, you know, uh, l let's talk about really quickly about how we got here to the point where uh, there's we're going to have QAnon believers in Congress. Yep. So so what I mean, the number one driver seems to be uh, one specific individual who uh, really doesn't have a problem uh, sharing QAnon accounts. I mean, he might not be sharing explicitly QAnon beliefs, yep. but it, it, it legitimizes the movement when you're retweeting people 
who have the QAnon bios and they are tweeting about QAnon 24-7. And of course, I'm talking about the guy at the very center of all this, President Donald Trump. Yep. I mean, he has, we tracked it, he's tweeted about QAnon more than 200 times since 2017. Um, The overwhelming majority of those of those instances, um, so a hundred, you know, about 120 or so, um, came since the middle of March, which is interesting because that also happens to overlap with when all the COVID stuff uh, uh, started to go into place and people started to move retreat, right? So your observation before really lines up with uh, a lot of the other factors here, which is that Trump started to radically amplify and and increase his amplification of QAnon uh, accounts and QAnon advocates. Um, we saw a lot of growth there. Uh, and it's and it's deliberate because there's a lot of cross pollination, right? He understands that if you give it a little bit of attention, it will spread and grow. Um, I think the existence of the virus and some of the dabbling that he did early on, you know, one of the narratives lined up with QAnon, right? Which was that this is a, a deep state plot in order to undermine Donald Trump. Um, and and so you know one of I mean they it was they were already the first people to believe it. And one of the things that happened really quickly, and then I think it sort of shows how these things can grow and then go back to Q, is that when all those reopen events started taking place in early April, one of the things that really gave us a red flag um, was that we found that a lot of the QAnon, well, a lot of those reopen groups that were opening up, that were starting to try to fight back against the stay-at-home orders, um, that they weren't just organic reopen groups, like, and they weren't just started by random people. A lot of times they were started by um, already existing QAnon communities in that area and QAnon advocates who sort of understood how to organize and they were cross-pollinating with anti-vaxxers and they were bringing in new people mm-hmm. um, to about the reopen thing. So when you're there and somebody is telling you, you know, about this deep state plot, they're starting to weave in some of the, the anti-vax content, it, both of those audiences grew quite a bit, but they were at the center of much of the reopen, similar to the way that we saw how the Tea Party emerged from the 912 project. Um, you know, that wasn't the first time it started. It started as a 912 project. And then over the next six months, because they started having these chapter meetings, started to form these tax day tea protests. And that's when it became the Tea Party. Um, it was a very similar moment, which is that they finally got together, they cross pollinated, they grew, and at the same time, Trump is amplifying them. Um, so that's the most recent surge. Obviously, tech companies are responsible too. But uh, Trump, by far and away, these last couple months and all these factors really, really juiced it. Right, right. And I'm so glad you brought up the mommy bloggers again because I, you reminded me of what I wanted to say. You know, you, you brought up you know, the Save the Children thing and, you know, they talk about child trafficking legitimately and the QAnon gets brought up into it. But what I've been noticing is that early on, I actually wrote an article, I think it was about two years ago now, about how, you know, QAnon is the rare online conspiracy that seems to be mostly driven by people in the baby boomer generation. They skewed older, and it's not something you usually see with online conspiracies. Yes, uh, older people are more susceptible to fake news online because they didn't grow up with the idea that anyone can literally say whatever they want on a blog, and that doesn't mean they're a legit news source. Uh, But usually you don't see a movement grow out of that like you did with QAnon. But I've been noticing ever since the pandemic that because of all these different things going on, you are getting a more diversified demographic with QAnon. It's still mostly baby boomers at this yep. point, but the demographic is, is diversifying. Uh, you, If you go on Instagram, you will come across mommy bloggers who talk about parenting, 
arts and crafts, and all of a sudden you'll get some Q anti-vaxxer stuff. And it's like, whoa, wait a minute. First of all, where did this come from in that feed? And then second of all, if you do know about Q and the conspiracy world, all of a sudden anti-vaccinations are, are thrown into QAnon? Well, yeah, that's what's going on here. And like we were t talking about just earlier, I think we even mentioned it before the show even started. You know, er early on, I was saying this is going to be like an incubator from just seeing how Pizzagate was waning down and then QAnon came out and then yep. boom, Pizzagate got a second boom, a second life. It's wrapped up in QAnon now. All these conspiracy theories that were never able to flourish and live on their own are now basically guaranteed a never-ending life for as long as QAnon lives on because they are now intertwined with it. Even like major conspiracy theories like the anti-vaxxers who quite frankly probably don't need QAnon are finding yep. a new audience with QAnon. And it's just, it's getting to the point where it's like, what is going on here? And how, like, what is the, wh what's next? Like, I've, I, I've honestly never seen a conspiracy theory of this nature uh, get to the point where it's gone. And, and it, we're not even at the end of it. it, it no, we're, we're not. We're in really fact, in it fact, is. yeah. Yeah, go ahead, please. No, sorry. In fact, you know, I, we're going to get to this now because this was going to be our next question. Wh what happens to QAnon, what do you think happens to QAnon if uh, November comes and uh, Donald Trump loses the presidency? It only makes them stronger. Yeah. Because the entire theory behind QAnon is that all of these forces are conspiring to stop him. And he's doing his best, right? He's fighting as hard as he can. But, um, it, you know, he said this comment, at, I guess, two weeks ago at one of his speeches to one of the factories that he was at and he said something like well you know maybe you won't see me uh, maybe maybe i won't be able to be back and you won't be able to, you know pretty soon i won't be around you won't be able to see me um and the q community blew up over that because they thought that that was sort of a, a sort of a plea for help that trump was saying that the forces were bearing down on him too too greatly and it, i looked at that moment and how they responded as uh, as, as an indicator for what the hell does this mean if he, you know, loses and then, you know, even if he doesn't contest it, which I think he'll throw enough fuel on the fire, just like today when he's dabbling in, you know, claiming Kamala Harris can't be, you know, the vice president for legal reasons. Um, you know, he, even if he doesn't go full, hey, it was a rigged election, he can still amplify a lot of the nonsense around it. And Q, it, what Q will basically see, what the Q audience will see is the perf the most visual vivid validation of every single thing that they've been warning about they will see the election as that that it was stolen that it was taken by these demons and that not only is it not legitimate but i worry about the you know a strain of them that have been preparing for this which is that they need to maybe take matters into their own hands um but a lot of them are going to grow and a lot of disaffected conservatives and trump people in the larger maga universe who are not fully you know QAnon yet are going to say, you know what? They had they had a point. These people are evil, and you know there was some nefarious stuff going on. And I don't know if I can go all the way in on demons, but I'm with you on the rest of it. And so I'll get to the demons eventually, you know. Um, and that's it. And that's just the truth. And that's where it goes. It's in a way, it's bad. It's it, you know, Trump winning, uh, losing is is better for almost absolutely everything. Um, except for all of the people that have to deal with members of their family that are QAnon advocates because they're going to be way worse. Right. I mean, the amazing thing is, you know, and this is this is with conspiracy theories in general. A lot of these conspiracy theories actually hit on real issues of things that are actually happening. 
they just completely miss the mark and take out their anger and frustration on the wrong targets. I mean, yeah. uh, Sam Cedar years ago would say this about Alex Jones, where, yeah, there are a group of people who pretty much run the government and frankly, the world, and they are the very rich and powerful. You don't need Alex Jones making up lizard people living on a mountain who are actually pulling all the strings to actually know that there are very powerful people who are in control of what, 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 what's going on. Like, you, yeah. don't, you don't need to make up this fake satanic child trafficking ring to know that, yeah, there is sex trafficking going on around the world and we should be paying attention to it. You don't need all these different various conspiracies they're throwing in there. It's just, it's just frankly crazy. And, you know, and I guess this might be the best way to, to, to bring this discussion uh, for the final uh, topic. So Trump's gone. The QAnon people get more powerful. Based on how Republicans have been acting with QAnon now, what do you think? Because how have they been, how is the party and people in the party who aren't Trump, how have they been treating QAnon? I mean, I know I've seen maybe, maybe one of them come out and say this whole QAnon thing is ridiculous. None of these conspiracy theories are real. I mean, frankly, if you look at QAnon's predictions, not one of them have come to fruition. They've all been, we're still waiting. We're still waiting. Where are these mass arrests? Where are these executions? I, um, so... I thought I've been thinking about that, and you know, there's there's some actions we've seen already from Republican leaders, right? Um, you know, you know, they kind of condemned Marjorie Greene today, and then Trump came out and embraced her, and so all the Republican leadership pretty quickly walked that back. Uh, so I thought that was one indicator. But then I look at the people that do this for a living, right? That have to talk to this audience. So people like Sean Hannity, right? And I really think that he's a good example or a good bellwether here and into how the rest of the Republican establishment will treat this because he's he's a business guy, right? He's got an audience. He knows where the line is. Um, And there's an interesting thing about this, which is that I look at past and see if it's relevant here. So one is in August of 2016, Sean Hannity condemned um, much of the right wing online conspiracy community for promoting the idea that Hillary Clinton did so, had something to do with the murder of Seth Rich, right? Right. In May of 2017, so he condemned them. Not only did he full-throated reject it, but he attacked people that were promoting him. May of 2017, Sean Hannity became the single biggest advocate and champion of the idea that Hillary Clinton or somebody connected to her murdered Seth Rich. So much so that he launched his own investigation. There was this big scandal, right? Like he ended up having to not apologize, but be quiet. But he promised he wasn't going to give up digging into the facts. The family begged that they stop bringing up their their dead son. I mean, it was very sad, right? Yeah. And I look at that lesson and say, okay, well, how's he treating Q when he's confronted? And he has been confronted about it now. And instead of saying that's ridiculous and I don't believe that the demons are doing all this stuff, um, he said, I don't know anything about it. I've never heard of the QAnon community. I've never, I've never heard of it. And what that tells me is he doesn't know which way to go, right? He doesn't know. Is he, thought that the, that he thought that his audience, right, re- on balance rejected Q um, and didn't align mostly with it, then he would embrace re- reducing it for, I mean, he would embrace sort of diminishing it for a lot of reasons. Um, so I, my gauge from him was that he knows where his audience is and the, his audience is the base. And he knew enough that he couldn't Im- embrace it because he maybe doesn't know that they're fully there yet, but he sure as hell knew enough that he couldn't reject it whole scale. Um, even though he might take some 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 bruises from not 
condemning it and pretending like he doesn't know about QAnon, which is nonsense because he's tweeted QAnon himself and QAnon hashtags before, which is totally ridiculous to make that claim. Um, mm. But I think that's to me where it goes is that eventually we are living, we are already living in a lot of QAnon world, and many of the things that become conspiracies were sort of, like, to your point about it being an incubator, actually are smears and disinformation that have been laundered through the QAnon community at some point, even if they're not directly tied to the conspiracy. But I think much like the Tea Party became sort of like the 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 central organizing engine of Republican politics for you know the Obama administration. Um, the QAnon community will become the central organizing engine of the Republican Party as we know it. And you've seen it. Matt Gates embracing and you know all these young guns. I mean, Tom Cotton is just the, pretty much right there to begin with. I mean, right. it's not that hard to imagine these other people going full QAnon, um, even if they change their name for a third time, which is probably what they'll do. They'll, they'll change their name, right? Uh, they'll call it something different, and, uh, and, but it'll be the same, the same nonsense. Right. I mean, it's not exactly the same, but but some parts of, of what you're talking about sort of brings me flashbacks to Gamergate and how there yeah. were the right wing grifters like Milo yeah. Yiannopoulos and Mike Cernovich who and with them, they knew how uh, they knew this is the best way to put it. They knew how cucked those reactionary gamers were to them because, That's right. oh, wow, these these big right wing personalities with a with a big profile are defending us and and like these guys openly shitted on gamers they said they were nerds and they were losers but they knew they had something there to, if they defended their right to have uh, you know their their video games without women in as part of their community and uh, you know that is what they knew they had to sort of throw the red meat to and they had this audience wrapped around their finger Sean Hannity and these guys aren't quite there where they could denigrate the QAnon audience quite yet they're still probably worried they'd lose them yeah but they know they know that these you know if we just you know these these guys are just begging for some high profile person to believe in what they believe to be the truth so that if you just do that even though you you look down upon these people they'll think you are the greatest in the world they will look up to you and follow you to the ends of the earth and i you know that's 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 definitely what's going to happen there i think yeah, without a doubt, like Jesse Waters. I mean, you know, when he right. gave, you know, he did a QAnon segment on Fox News back in December of 2019, and you know, he got a ton of traction for just doing that. And even more recently, when he said, "Oh, you know, they're, they, yeah, there's some stuff that that's a little wacky, but boy, they sure are onto some good things." And that's what'll happen, right? They'll they'll start the process of of making this much more acceptable. Um, and then the other thing, and this is where I think it all comes full circle for me, and it is a real test. And we've seen this play out just a tiny bit in the last couple of days. You know, once this reaches national attention, it is subject to some of the traditional and typical both sizing false equivalences that we see with traditional political reporting and reporting. You know, we saw that famous, you know, that, 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 that prominent pollster, right, David, Wasser, David Wasserman, sort of compare Ilhan Omar that's to, exactly what I was thinking of, right. I'm like, they're not the same. I mean, not they, even close, no, right? No, like, you can't. They should. They're not. They're not reflective of the two different things happening in each party. You know, I mean, they're 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 not the same. Um, and and I think you're. I worry a little bit about that. And and I will say that what happens over the next couple months with that part of the conversation is really going to also inform, not necessarily the total outcome of how the Republican Party deals with it. But the timeline in which they do, the more both, the more false equivalencies, that means the more enabling they have to say, yeah, that's just our flank. Get over it. It's totally normal to believe in demons. 
you know. <laughs> right, right. One <laughs> of the scary. Sorry to keep going. I know you. Please, uh, you, no, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things that's really interesting about this is, you know, I mean, we've seen this with other sort of conservative movements, like the Tea Party had this going on, but this is much more openly like this. Whereas the Tea Party, you know, they they wanted to be a legitimate political movement, at least the politicians who were running as Tea Party members. You know, aside from the the base, they were they were the you know frothing from the mouth with their their conspiracies about Obama. But you know, there's no one like that here, really. Like what we what we're seeing is like. It's just the people who are using it because they're grifters and they know there's something to take from this. And then the full-on QAnon believers. There's no one who's really like, because really there's nothing. Like, you could be like a Tea Party person who's like, who's like, just to save face, you could be like, I'm not for the racism stuff. I'm here for the tax stuff. There's no, like, center here for QAnon. There's no, there's nothing that you can say, oh, I'm the serious QAnon person because there's no topic of the conversation that is serious. No, it's so true. And that's a really good point. And I think, you know, I feel like, you know, one of the things that you saw that I think proves your observation is back in April or so, um, Jim Watkins, who is the owner of HN, which is a prominent place where, you know, Q, the Q community was organizing and then it became Aid Kuhn. Um, he uh, started a QAnon super PAC. Uh, for QAnon right. candidates. And it it did seem at the time that this was somebody that was trying to maybe not like hijack it, but to provide some of that like political sort of superstructure framework for exactly the kind of political power that you're talking about. Um, and it, it didn't really, I mean, it exists, but it, it's barely a blip. It, it doesn't have, even though the community is bigger than ever, that thing never took off. And that to me is a pretty good indication that it's sort of two things. One, it validates your point that they don't want to do that. And then the bigger question to me is why, and I think the answer is really scary, it's that um, they don't believe in trying to change the system through those traditional means. They believe in might makes right and ends justify the means. And so this is sort of like old school, you know, abortion, bombing, killing doctors. And I, I will tie that together by saying part of the reason we put more resources into QAnon a couple years ago was because, you know, at that point it was the storm and then they started to dabble with Q, but there was a, a long-standing, vehemently dangerous uh, anti-choice organization called Operation Rescue. They've been around for decades. They, they have either been adjacent to or part of violence, but they um, were probably the first, like, big institutional thing to have, like, fully embraced the storm in QAnon back in the spring of 2018. And... I mean, they really embraced it, like the leadership and their messaging. That's a red flag because like this is actually a right wing institution that understands. I mean, the, part of the reason why we have hard difficulty with access to choice is because of what the anti-choice community did in this country for decades. Like they resorted to violence and it worked for them. Um, and and they sort of saw themselves as simpatico with this. Right. Right. And I think that gets back to the question and answer about the political power side was that there was an effort to do that. There was probably nobody better positioned to do it than Jim Watkins, that guy that owns Aitkun, which is where they organize. And it didn't happen. And I think it's because they don't want that. It's like if they need that, uh, then uh, then then it's it's too slow and not right. And they actually are going to engage in other means. And I think that's the part that really frightens me. Right. And, you know, going off that, the, the interesting thing with that is, you know, there, there are a lot of leaderless movements out there. Like, let's take Antifa, yeah. for example. Yep. You know, 
but they organize around the common belief of, of fighting fascism. They are anti-fascists. Yeah. QAnon is a leaderless movement that doesn't really agree on anything but, I guess, their love for Donald Trump. I mean, there, there is no organizing center, again, to use that word, because it's literally everyone who believes in Q and what he says, there's that general people are trying to take down Trump and there's a child trafficking ring that yep. probably involves sat Satanists. But everything else is fair game for anyone to just make up on their own. There are people who believe that uh, RFK is, is supporting uh, Trump. And he never died. But, you know, then there are people who say, that's ridiculous. How can you believe that? By the way, the coronavirus vaccine is going to turn you into a lizard person. I mean, there's right. no, there's no, there's nothing that they are all in agreement on except for the fact that they are QAnon. That's right. And that maybe Bill Gates, I think they probably agree on whether or not they acknowledge it. Um, some of the like longstanding anti-Semitic tropes that are like powering a lot of this. Um, I've seen even at Trump rallies and, and a lot of QAnon people constantly refer to Epstein and Weinstein as not necessarily sounding like Protestants. It's like, well, you could just say it at that point if you're going to make that argument. But they, they really try to tie in this idea that all of these prominent, all of the big money and all of the big power seemingly behind prominent democratic power um, are, are tied into this larger like globalist conspiracy theory. And, uh, and they so one, I think, whether or not they acknowledge it, I think a lot of them believe in that. And they all really have seemed to rally around Bill Gates, though how, the extent to which he's trying to turn you into a robot, there's a lot of debate about, but they all have seemed to quickly tie. And it, you know, the part that stuns me is it doesn't require very much. I mean, even just a whiff of a report that maybe he went to to something with you know with Epstein once was enough to be like okay done like now we're all in on anti bill on anti bill Gates and but you're right and and that I think it's like in a way I I compare it I, you said the word cult before and I think that's a really fair comparison the comparison that I often use although I cult I think cult is probably technically more accurate is it feels a lot to me like the Reformation around uh, period around Christianity where you had the emergence, very rapid emergence of different sects because they all disagreed over, oh, over this one little thing. Okay, I'm a new, I'm a new strain now of Christianity. Right. Um, and it allowed for this incredibly fast fragmentation, right? They still sort of centered around this idea of Jesus and Christianity, right? But um, they, they formed the way that they dealt with differences was not to actually cannibalize each other or to have these internecine battles that dragged on and try to re resolve it at these big things. No, they just had schisms. They just broke into different components and continued in this atomized fashion. Um, and it feels a lot like that. And that's why I think you really, the QAnon audience lasts for a while because they, their adaptability is in a way very similar to large religious movements that adapt where they just form a different sect and continue to carry on their business. Right. And they don't, they don't even need anything to actually, they just make things up full, full wholesale really just yes. to keep things going. Like for example, this one, this one I've been meaning to really focus on in, in a piece or something. Cause it's, it's crazy to me. There is a growing uh, attack on Tom Hanks, the actor where they believe QAnon people believe he is a pedophile. And listen, there are a lot of actors out there and there, you know, who, who have had these sort of issues where you can actually go after. And, and we've yep. seen them actually get in trouble with the law. And there have been, but they're focusing on Tom Hanks. Why? 
because they claim that they saw a document that puts Tom Hanks on the Epstein list. Now, you can actually access Epstein's flight logs. You can actually see. And yes, there are people like Bill Clinton and a lot of other people, Donald Trump, who are on these flight logs. And you can say, hmm, something's weird there. Let me, you know, I'm going to look at them with a side eye and wonder what they did there. Guess who is not on the actual legitimate flight logs? Tom Hanks. But they claim, and a lot of them don't even know if they remember seeing the document themselves. They just claim that. Tom Hanks is on this flight log and that's that he's a pedophile and it's been going out there for every time Tom Hanks shows up in the news comments. Oh, he's a pedo. You know, he's when is a cues coming for, you know, you're, 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 you're in for Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks. I mean, it's, it's, it's just like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't even like, it's not even like, you know, like you mentioned the Bill Clinton thing. It's not even like they need something to tip them off. Like, like they don't even need, oh, Bill Clinton's on the flight log. He's got to yep. be a pedophile. They don't even, need, right. they don't even need that. No, they, they will have, take anything yeah. and just make it up. Right. That's right. They do. And, 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 and they make it up, even though they're sort of making it up as they go along. A lot of what Q says, and because you're right, it's leaderless, is that it's actually the result of individual research. So they, you feel it. You know, when I, you know, you're right. Uh, when I publish something or write something, I, it's mine. I put work into it. When somebody criticizes it, it upsets me. I want to defend it. My, my knee-jerk reaction is to defend the thing I just produced. And right. so a lot of what happens with, with the, the Q audience is that they are constantly repeating this idea of doing your own research. They, they almost have they've sort of, they've gotten so high on their own supply that they don't, they don't even accept the idea that they are consuming other people's like exhaust uh, and random stuff and they count that as research. But that means that when they're actually saying something and amplifying something, they see that as a as their own work product that they have to vigorously right. defend um, because they came to that conclusion. And that that's really, so even if you show them the flight logs, they would say, well, it was engineered. The one that I looked at that I got off of GitHub you know, and that somebody showed that was a little bit fuzzy, sure, and maybe the font was slightly different, but it definitely looked authentic. Um, had Tom Hanks's name on it, or a very common alias that we all know Tom Hanks uses. Did you not know, right, that he right. uses the alias, you know, Robert Jeffries? Because yes, that is a common, right? Like that's the thing; they always have an answer for it. And so, to your point about making it up, it's even in some ways worse because they they make it up, but they count it as research. And then they are invested in the byproduct that makes it really hard to have an honest conversation with them about it. Now that you mentioned that, I'm surprised none of them have floated the idea. Maybe I'm giving them the idea, but I'm surprised <laughs> none of them have floated that Epstein's nickname for Tom Hanks was Donald Trump. And right, that, it doesn't matter. Uh, Trump yeah. wasn't really in those flight logs. Epstein was referring to Tom Hanks. It is. I, the, you know, it's so funny you say the Tom Hanks thing because my latest like Q rabbit hole, like guilty pleasure, if that, that's the way to describe it, has been there's been this new push around um, finding all this like secret sex imagery in um, Disney movies, right? Oh, that's yeah. And, and and it's been around for a while, but the part, the one that I love that they do is there's this like really on the nose one where they just take random screenshots and then like use the paint app to just like write dirty words over like, like, well, you know, if you look at the shadow here, it says the word, you know, child, it says the words like, no, it didn't. You just scrawled that on there. Like that's not the same as finding some phallic kind of imagery in like the little mermaid castle, you know, like you're just writing words on a screenshot you took and pretending that that was actually part of the video. Like you're making that up. That never, that wasn't there. Um, and, but that, that's the stuff that takes off because they, they are so predisposed 
to believing anything. And look, a lot of the stuff that came out about Marjorie Taylor Greene today, I mean, you know, she talked that Obama may have killed Seth Rich, right? She was a 9-11 truther. She believed that the Pentagon was shot by a missile, not an airplane. Um, you know, I mean, it, it's clear that there are other things that they believe that are not just this. Um, because oh, it'll get wrapped in, in there. If it's not already yeah. in there, it's going to become part of the Q lore. Exactly. Right. That's right. You know, the, yeah. the, the, the Disney thing, and then you, you mentioning the defense thing made me think, you know, like if, if you're actually doing research on something, if you're doing reporting, when a new piece of information comes out, you want to do a follow-up, even if it refutes your previous report, because that's what you're doing, yeah. you're reporting. Right. But if you're working on a piece of fiction, if someone criticizes that, then you're going to defend it because that's a part of you. Like that's something you made up. That's from your own head. I mean, I think that's a perfect point you brought up because that's really, I mean, I think that gets to, that gets to the, 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 the really the, the heart of it here that, you know, even if they don't even realize it, they're defending things that they pretty much just pulled out of thin air. Yes. And I think that's why your observation earlier about, you know, that you know, even though it's clearly started to, to transcend, um, you know, age demographics, that it is an online thing that is principally boomers and older people. Um, and, you know, if they weren't doing this, because this is a hobby, they spend hours. You know, I right. listen to the calls where they talk about how much work they're doing. You know, if they weren't doing this, they would be doing other things, right? Like paint by numbers or like pottery, like they would have hobbies. And um, but this is a hobby for them. And so it's like when somebody has a little workshop or, you know, they have an activity or a craft, they're really invested. Like, even if they're not very good at like making things out of shells, like you don't go around saying like your shell collection is terrible, right? Because like you're friends or you're, they're a loved one. And so you sort of support the thing that they're putting their time in um, because that's innocuous. And the thing is, instead of doing innocuous hobbies and other things, they're putting their energy into creating this these byproducts that are just complete fictions. Um, and there's no way to, you can't say nothing because you're validating it or engaging with it. But if you engage with it, it would be the same as just walking in and telling somebody the paint by number thing they did was total garbage, right? Like <laughs> no one's going to do that because it's mean. And that's where I think it makes this really difficult because it is so deeply personal um, for a lot of the, the adherents and the people that really believe in it. Angelo Carason, president of Media Matters. I linked to some great pieces from Media Matters uh, in the uh, description of the YouTube channel and on the Patreon page. Where can people find you online? And also, if you can give us maybe a, a, a hint of what's coming next down the line from Media Matters related to, uh, related to QAnon, excuse me. Sure. So uh, I think that, so one, you can go to MediaMatters.org and that's our website and you can follow us on Twitter at MMFA um, and my Twitter handle is GoAngelo. Uh, and then in terms of what's coming next, I mean, the, the two big things that I think you'll start to see from us is one, a better sense of just how big the QAnon community is on Facebook. Um, we've really been doing a lot of analysis there on um, on, on unpackaging how big these, these, these networks are, just what their reach is, um, and then in particular, a sense of their engagement trajectory so that you could to really get some data to back up the general impression and the thing we all know that they've really grown really fast in the past few months. Um, and that I think will be one big study that you see coming out. And then a little bit more work on the state legislature. Let's not forget that there's Congress isn't the only one. And um, when you start to go down that rabbit hole of the state legislatures, you start to see 
a lot of mini Marjorie Taylor Greens that uh, <laughs> you know that are not that are not on anybody's radar screen that are saying just as much uh, you know ridiculous things as she says um, and are helping craft you know state state policy and state law. Some of whom are already in office. And there's a whole lot more than 75 of the state <laughs> certainly are right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Jeez. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining me today. This was a, a great conversation. I got to have you or, or whoever's working on that Facebook study come on too because Definitely. we didn't even really touch upon the social media aspect yeah. of it. Yeah. This is just... Angela, thanks so much. Have a Thank great you. night. You too. All right, ladies and gentlemen. We are going to go to the second half of the show. And uh, first of all, a few, few uh, notes here. Patreon.com slash Binder. Support the show. Help it grow. And uh, off of that, I just want to say, you might realize that I am coming in crystal clear. You, you can see, if you're watching on the YouTube live stream or on Twitch or on Periscope right now or on Facebook live, if you are watching this right now via video and not just listening at doomedpod.com where you get the audio version of the podcast, you must be going, what did Matt do to his webcam? He's like, it's like he's in my house. I could reach out and touch Matt, right? Thanks to my Patreons, patrons, excuse me, I was able to purchase a Panasonic Lumix G7 mirrorless 4K camera. I was able to purchase the Elgato CamLink, which connects this mirrorless camera, which is like a, a full-blown, like you could, make, uh, you could make an independent movie with this camera. Uh, it's that, it's that kind of quality. I mean, it's, it's the middle end of these cameras. There's ones that are like thousands of dollars. This one's like a $500 camera. And I'm connecting it to the cam link here, which connects it to my computer. So I can use it as a webcam. This is actually what some of the big like live streaming channels and, and networks are doing now. And I honestly, I think, uh, I don't even know if, uh, you know, the majority port's got a camera like this in the office. <laughs> I mean, I, I know Jamie, Matt, Le, uh, Jamie from M the Antifada, Matt Leck, and Brendan don't have one. I was on co-hosting with them today, and they were, they were admiring my, <laughs> my new webcam setup. So, I, really, I, I could, you know, I think this is going to step up the game here. I'm looking forward to producing some standalone YouTube, you know, short YouTube content uh, with this camera and getting that stuff out there. And I think this is going to help, you know, show that this is a serious endeavor here. This is not just, you know, some guy once a week going live. I mean, I think my content's already up to par. All that's left was to uh, up the production. The next thing, thanks to my Patreons, is to upgrade this here microphone. I'm going to go from uh, digital to analog and get some nice, uh, a nice uh, XLR mic with a mixer going into my computer. hope my computer can handle this, actually, now that I think about it. But yeah, uh, I, I'm going to read the, the names of the people who make this show happen because without them, I couldn't do these upgrades. Abigail T, Alan B, uh, Andrew H, Angela, R.E.R., Ashley M, Baka, Ben, Benji, Bobby M, Brendan H, Brian S, Brosnan, Candied, Champagne Kami, Chris F, Christine H, Cindy G, Colin R, Connor R, C.T.A., 
Cul-de-sac, Cyber Snowstorm, D, Dan, Dank Uger, Dave K, David Z, Daya, Douglas V. Daya, thanks for the shout-out of Majority Report today, by the way. I remember you. Uh, Douglas V, Dragon Slayer, Eugene B, Froz K, Free Hat, uh, FTW All Day, Graham C, Greywind, Greg D, Greg D with two Gs, Grim, Helmy, Hitesh, Igor D, In Our Words, Invisible Ninja, uh, Jack D, Jacob W, James K, Jameson Test, Janelle A. I'm going to the next page now. Jasmine H, Jeremy M, JLS, John B, John S, Jonathan B, Joseph H, Joseph R, Joyce M, Justin S, Katie S, Kaushal, uh, Kirk G, Kyle, Lisa D, Mariah, Mark L, Mark S, Maddie J, Max W, me, Melissa M, Mitch V, Michael B, Michael J, Michael M, Mr. Danks, NS, Nick, Nicole A, Nam Danet, Null Style, O Death, Penelope D, Philip W, Rad Dad, Remy, Rondi, Ryan C, Ryan O, Scott H, Scott R, Seth K, Shabazz, Sheena, uh, Silicon Baby, Stephen R, Stephen S, Steve A, TM, going to a third page now, folks, Tamni G, this is not pizza, Tina M, Tom M, why that Thai guy, Wootopian, Zach M, and last but not least, Zoe. We are now at the point where I cannot read everyone on every show, but I wanted to do it one last time now that we've broken past the first uh, goal and I've done some of these upgrades and again, I, I wouldn't be able to done it, do it without you guys. Uh, YouTube.com slash Matt Binder, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Going into the second half of the show now, I will be reading comments from the Super Chats. Also, getting to be too much to read uh, all the comments here in YouTube like I used to try to do. It was insane for me to try to do that then. It would be impossible for me to do it now. Uh, I learned that the hard way while reading some of the IMs and taking phone calls on the majority report the past couple of weeks. On that show, you get lucky if you even get through, uh, I don't know, 10% of everything they, they get, IMs and phone calls combined. So... YouTube.com slash Matt Binder. Drop a super chat during the live stream. I will read your question or comment. Uh, what else? What else? What else? What else? Oh, find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, wherever you f are on social media platforms. I'm probably there as at Matt Binder. Uh, the few that I'm not, just search Matt Binder and I'll probably be the first person that shows up because, I don't know, someone who, there's a, one or two other Matt Binders out there who got there before me, apparently. Um, yeah, guys. Uh, tell your favorite podcaster and YouTuber about this show. Tell them you want to see me on their show. Tell them you want to see them on this show. And then let me know. Uh, I've been having a great time in the Majority Port, uh, filling in for Sam with uh, the, the MR crew this past couple of weeks. Uh, I believe there's one last uh, show I'm scheduled to do, and that's next week. And then I think they take a week break, and then uh, August is done for them, I think. I think that's what they're doing the last week, taking a week break, I think. I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure. But 
that's all I'm booked up to. Uh, so if you want to see me on that show, let Sam know you've been enjoying me on that show. I've been watching it. If you haven't been watching it, you should watch. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, I was saving this for last. Um, and I think I've hit everything. Um, today would have been the 37th birthday of my former co-producer on the Majority Port and my co-host for Madden Mike Mondays on the Majority Port, Michael Brooks, who, um, I guess if you don't know, I doubt you're learning from this show, but, uh, sadly, suddenly passed away in July, on July 20th, and August 13th is his birthday, and it's, you know, very, you know, one of those things where you're just like, uh, you've got a lot of feelings, you know what I mean? Uh, I told the show, uh, a story earlier on the Majority Port that I'll share here to end this uh, this half of the episode, because it's a, it's a nice story. Um you know, him having a birthday reminded me of a, a memory. I've got tons of them in my head that come to me every couple of days that I totally hadn't thought of in a while. And, you know, five years ago on July 9th, my son Ezra was born. He's now five years old. He was born July 9th, 2015. And at the time, I was working at the Majority Port. And that day, obviously, I did not go into the show. I was at the hospital. My son was born. And my dad, I am'd into the show as he usually does, but that day he I am'd in to tell Sam and Michael that uh, the baby was born, and they congratulated me on air, and I believe Sam played the show far. And fast forward to shows over, which is a few hours after my son was born, and I get a call from Michael, and he's congratulating me, which I knew he was going to call me to congratulate me anyway, but I also sort of knew why he called me directly at that time. Now, remember, this isn't like that night where, like, you know, my kid was already born for 12, 15, 20 hours. I'm talking, like, just maybe, like, two, three hours out of, you know, in, in the room. Get a call from Michael. Congratulations. And uh, then he finally gets to it. He needs some tech help with uh, everything for the show. you got to put up the podcast. Gotta do the um, gotta do the YouTube uh, feed. The, excuse me, the YouTube clips. I believe Sam was recording uh, Ring of Fire episodes after the majority part went off, off air. Then, so I believe he was also calling me for help setting that up because I would also set uh, produce that side of setting everything up for Sam um, when I was there, and it was just like. Wow, man, I went over all of this with you in anticipation for my for, for me being out for a few days. <laughs> but that was Michael. Never, never, one brilliant, brilliant political mind. Super, super nice and guy. Hilarious. Like one of those, one of those like people who you were like, wow, that's like a triple threat. He could do it all. Except when it came to tech stuff. And I don't even mean anything crazy. I mean like just the basics. Just... Wasn't for him, but you know I'm, I'm happy he called. Obviously, uh, especially in light of this unforeseeable event, because I, you know I'll never forget him, and he'll always be a part of my life based on me working with him for so many years, and you know this show being so intertwined with my work at the Majority Port to begin with. I mean, my whole trajectory in political media really is intertwined with Sam hiring me for the Majority Port. But you know. Whenever, on a personal level, whenever I tell people, and my son included, about the story of the day my firstborn was, well, born, uh, Michael Brooks will be part of that story for his hilarious call asking for tech help just hours after my son was born. 
happy birthday, Michael. Uh, I wish you were here, buddy. All right, folks. Going to the second half of the show. Uh, be back next week uh, on both the Majority Port and on Doom. So until then, uh, again, see you in this patron half now. Otherwise, see you all next time on Doomed.